0: I was wrong oh was i wrong rarely have i been so wrong as i was last week and i'm not talking about calvin ridley i'm talking about brett kavanaugh because during dr christine blase ford's testimony i tweeted the following she went hippocampus game over because my thinking was once she started talking neurotransmitters kavanaugh's finished and i was wrong so many different kinds of wrong. Kavanaugh burst through those doors like Leroy Jenkins entering the Senate chamber. I guess what we'll do, uh, I'll fucking run in uh, first. I'll gather up all the eggs so we can you know, make this quick. Abdul, can you give us a number crunch real quick? Give us a probability chance here. Uh, well, my calculations show that we have a high probability of survival. Uh, finishing it though, not so good. Okay, well, it's better than we usually do. Let's, hey, uh, back, we... Let's do this. JACKINS! Stick to the points. stick to the Jesus. It was a spectacle. And I was so disoriented watching it because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how is this possible? How? How? I thought there was a 50-50 chance he just wouldn't show up, that he wouldn't walk through that door. They would open the doors and no one would walk through, that he would simply bow out at that time like Papa Doc in 8 Mile, that it was over. She went hippocampus. How? How? How can he stride in so stridently and spit fire? Like, how? How did he do that? And we got our answer later on in the testimony when one of my favorite senators, Kamala Harris, asked the best question of the proceedings. I know you might think, oh, Kamala Harris, oh, she's a big lefty. You must be a big lefty. No. I'm not affiliated with any political party or... Ideology. My two favorite senators are Rand Paul, because he seems to be the only senator that even tries to look like he cares about the spending side of the ledger. And more personally, I have an affinity for Kamala Harris because she is a boss. She is the alpha on that Senate Judiciary Committee, and she's not even the ranking member. She's not even the ranking member from her own state. And yet, when an insightful question is posed, it's typically posed by her. And when she speaks, people listen. And when she walks out, people follow her. She is a boss. Meanwhile, Rand Paul gets his ass kicked while mowing his own lawn. I have a lot of questions about that incident. First of all, why is a U.S. senator mowing his own fucking lawn? Are you kidding me? No way it was a push mower. It must have been a riding mower. And I hope Rand Paul does not use a leaf blower. And if Kamala Harris is out there landscaping, she could cut down her neighbor's tree and they wouldn't say shit. If we could just combine Rand Paul and Kamala Harris, it'd be a super senator because he is so meek. And she has so much swagger. So she asked Brett Kavanaugh this question. Did you listen to Christine Blasey Ford's testimony? And then we had our answer. How was he able to lock in and deliver one of the most shocking, belligerent displays of white male privilege I have ever witnessed? O'Kamala Harris's question provided the answer. He didn't listen to her testimony. Because if he had, there's no way he could have expressed that level of indignance. It's just not possible. That's why I was so bewildered and confused when he showed up just swinging wildly. Because he hadn't listened to her. He was in a sealed chamber somewhere shadow boxing for four hours. That's the only explanation. And he may have saved himself. We are going to find out. We're going to find out whether or not we will have a binge drinker on the Supreme Court for the next 30 years. And I was so many different kinds of wrong, thinking none of this was possible. So I am sorry. I am taking the L on Brett Kavanaugh. I was in-game tweeting during the proceedings, and it was not game over. Oh, no. And after watching Lindsey Graham, I struggled to do the backstage pass because I thought my faux indignance of fantasy analysis pales in comparison to what we all saw on Thursday. So it made me question my own existence. I was facing an existential crisis last week. How could I follow Thursday's proceedings? And that's when I turned on the camera on the backstage pass. And I spoke to this audience for 45 minutes about that hearing, and I gave you the real talk on Brett Kavanaugh and who he really is. No one wants to hear about Brett Kavanaugh now. It's been a week. It's the last thing you all want to hear about. But the patrons of the show heard my complete position on the matter last week. And there's plenty going on behind the scenes at Roto Underworld to talk about this week on the Backstage Pass. Get it. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. Like, for example, Bill Simmons stealing my nickname. Bill Simmons, the podfather, in quotes, returns to ESPN to cling to his fleeting relevancy. And I tweeted that, and Bill Simmons fans think I should take the L, because I dared challenge the king, the king of sports media, Bill Simmons, challenge his relevancy, because I haven't seen or heard from Bill Simmons in a long time, since his show failed on HBO, and I haven't missed him. And I almost didn't even tweet about his predictable co-opting of someone else's nickname, because I thought the notion that Bill Simmons' relevancy is fleeting was so obvious, so lacking in insight, that it wasn't interesting enough for Twitter. But again, I was wrong. Apparently, many of you disagree. But everyone would agree that I am the podfather. Just go to Google, type in the podfather. Go to Twitter, type in the podfather. And it's very easy to figure out who the podfather is. He is I and I am him, Bill. Oh, but he started the ringer and the ringer has been really successful. Has it? I mean, Danny Kelly's at the ringer. There are some talented writers at the ringer. And every couple months, the ringer will run an article that provides some, some true insight in the world of sports. And I will read it on the toilet. And 10 years ago, When Bill Simmons was at ESPN writing weekly columns, I would read them and enjoy them on the toilet because that's what Bill Simmons is good at. He's good at writing columns. And beyond writing columns, he is one of the best in the world at appropriating the creative ideas of others, including my Twitter identity, repackaging them, and pawning them off as his own. He's not good at much else. Yet it seems Bill Simmons wants to do everything in sports media except the one thing he's good at writing words. Never has a person with so little discernible talent been given so many opportunities to fail in sports media as Bill Simmons. There's a reason why his ESPN colleagues resented him. And now he's crawling back. Because he wants his little voice to be heard. It's really no fun talking if nobody's listening. Streaming shows on the ringer isn't exactly Reaching a wide audience. But then you hear Bill Simmons interviewed on the Mark Marin show, for example, and he implies that the rift between he and his ESPN colleagues was a function of jealousy. Yeah. And I've talked to some of these colleagues, and I am confident that at the root of the Bill Simmons ESPN cataclysm was not jealousy. Executives, producers, writers, they're not jealous of Bill Simmons, they just think he was lame. Lame because front-running your colleagues to be first to stand on the square to absorb the light from the spotlight and then lobby on your own behalf for years insisting on a disproportionate amount of credit for team-based projects is lame. But to hear Bill Simmons tell it, he invented 30 for 30. 30 for 30 was all him. Oh, yeah. So where's the next idea? If Bill Simmons is such a visionary, where's the visionary ideas on HBO? Where are the visionary ideas on the ringer? You leave an ecosystem that has its own atmosphere, its own gravitational pull, its own audience, it's self-contained like ESPN, you better be careful what you wish for. Sure, you can port over millions of followers, but if you're not focusing on your strengths as a professional, then over time, your audience will dissipate. My strength is podcasting. That's why I'm the podfather. Your strength is writing columns, yet you don't want to write columns. And that's not my problem. And fame is fleeting. And anyone arguing that Bill Simmons' relevancy is not fleeting is not familiar with the life cycle of fame. Fame is fleeting. The Bill Simmons shtick that worked well in 2005 is not going to work nearly as well in 2015. He's finding that out. Just like my shtick is not going to work as well in 2028. That's why I work 12 to 16 hours every day building this enterprise. Now, in my prime, when I'm hot. Because one day I'm going to turn around, I'm going to be Bill Simmons age, and no fucking way will I be crawling back to a previous employer to try to get back in front of the cameras. In hopes of rebuilding my relevancy. Hell no. But even if we have this finite amount of relevancy and we can choose to burn it hot like a starburst in the sky or slowly build something, either way, it's finite. And we talk about it all the time in the NFL that of the various positions, the running back position has the most finite number of reps and years. It's why so many feel that Le'Veon Bell is misguided with his holdout. He only has so many years to earn those hundreds of thousands of dollars, so many weeks in which his healthy body in its prime can be worth close to a million dollars a week. I get it. I get that argument, but I see no dilemma in what Le'Veon Bell is doing. If he wanted to play football at the rate in which the Steelers are scheduled to pay him, he would simply report. He does not want to play football at the rate in which the Steelers are scheduled to pay him, so he is not reporting. It is that simple. Playing the running back position in the NFL is difficult, and unless you play it, it's very difficult to wade into this conversation and somehow quantify the cost of playing an NFL game to Le'Veon Bell. If you've never played running back in the NFL, you're disqualified from the conversation. I've never played running back, so whatever Le'Veon Bell is doing, it's fine by me. You couldn't pay me. To take a snap at running back in the NFL. No amount of money. And the same is true with the tight end position. When you look at the NFL, the tight end position is an apocalypse. Every week we lose someone for the year or to injured reserve. Maybe he'll be back in eight weeks. Fingers crossed for Greg Olson. Delaney Walker, gone. Tyler Eifert, gone. Hunter Henry, gone. Tight end after tight end after tight end. Gone, gone, gone. Will Jack Doyle play this week? Probably not. Why? Because tight end. The answer to a lot of the events and outcomes we see every week is just, oh, football? Oh, just football. The eh, answer is football. The hardest position to find consistent fantasy production is tight end. Why? Because tight end. Just because tight end. And we're going to ask my guest today, Nelson Souza, about the tight end position. He is one of the world's best high stakes fantasy players does he draft Gronk around earlier than others or is he the last person in the league in the draft room to select a tight end or is it somewhere in between I'm exasperated as I flip from league to league to league trying to find consistent production at the tight end position and I lamented the reaction to the Tyler Eifert injury on Twitter the oh he can't stay healthy critique of Tyler Eifert and it's true Tyler Eifert is one of the most Injury-susceptible players in the NFL, not just tight end, but players. We talk about Jordan Reed, Tyler Eifert. Few, if any, players are more susceptible to injury than those players. Why? Because they have a long track record of injuries and repeated injuries to the same body part. It's Tyler Eifert's back. It's Jordan Reed's shoulder. It's Tyler Eifert's ankle. It's Jordan Reed's hamstring. And you might say, well, there is a difference between uh, injury-prone and accident-prone. I talked about that difference on the Sonic Truth podcast with Jeremy Funk, who happens to work at the NIH. He conducts research on injury susceptibility. And the fact is, if you've been in a car accident before, you're twice as likely to be in another car accident than someone that has never been in a car accident before. Is it because the universe just picks you out randomly as a guy that is going to be in a lot of car accidents? No, it's because... You're predisposed to be in car accidents based on the way you live your life and the way you drive. And for some players, the way they play the game makes them more susceptible to injuries. We saw this with Robert Griffin III versus Russell Wilson. At first, you might think, oh, they play the game similarly, but you actually watch them play. No. Russell Wilson has an innate sense for when to get out of bounds and get down. Robert Griffin III did not. And Robert Griffin III's injury history was very different than Russell Wilson's, and it indicated that he was more likely to be injured in the future than Russell Wilson, and that's exactly what happened. So even though Tyler Eifert was essentially struck by lightning on the football field in Week 4, the probability showed that he was, in fact, more likely to be injured than the average tight end. There was still a probability that he would play 16 games just like the old lady who's been in three car accidents in the last three years can make it from point A to point B without getting in an accident today. But over the course of a year, the likelihood is much higher that she will be in an accident at some point in a given year, which is the case with Tyler Eifert. And yet I still cringe when I hear Player X can't stay healthy, as if it's some inconvenience for you and your fake computer team. Because that's his life. The rhetoric around injury analysis in fantasy football matters. It's not difficult to inject some humanity into your fantasy football analysis, especially when we're talking about a person's profession, their life, hanging in the balance. But when I criticize the crude, quote, Tyler Eifert, can't stay healthy, unquote, analysis, I'm accused of virtue signaling. And my response to the virtue signaller retort is... Da, welcome to Twitter. Where have you been? Twitter exists to demonstrate one's virtues, successes, skills, attributes in a particular area. In this case, it's fantasy football. The more focused, the better. Of course I'm a virtue signaler. It's all I do on social media. It's all most people do on social media. And if you're not virtue signaling on social media, you're not using it right. You have a boring account. All I am trying to do on social media is show off my analytical football skills and my comedy skills. That's my Twitter goal set. Every time I tweet, I am virtue signaling. When I first set up my Twitter account, it was 2011. I was a sales manager, and a junior salesperson told me, Hey, you should get on Twitter. There's a lot of good football analysis and comedy on Twitter. It's great. It's a fun place to be. Twitter in 2011. Oh, those were the good old days. So he's helping me set up my account. And I asked him, well, how should I approach this platform? What should I do? What are the keys to success? He said, there's only one key. Hype. Twitter is just one big hype machine. You hype yourself. You hype your friends. You hype your stuff. Rinse, repeat. Hype, hype, hype. I said, okay, I can do that. Can you show me an example? And he pulled up, you guessed it, Skip Bayless' Twitter account. He said, this guy's doing it better than anybody. And when a millennial right out of college tells you that person X is doing social media better than anybody, you follow that person's lead. So I've been walking in the shoes of Skip Bayless on Twitter ever since, and I couldn't be happier. And I am vexed looking at the available tight ends on the waiver wire. I thought at some point, Johnu Smith would pop. Didn't you? Dominator rating, yards per reception. All those athleticism metrics for Jonu Smith. He looked like small school David Njoku. He's David Njoku's age, David Njoku's size. He's a David Njoku doppelganger available later in drafts because he doesn't have the draft capital that David Njoku has. And yet he's not looking anything like David Njoku on the football field, even with an 80% snap share. And that is just demoralizing. That was my guy. So who's next? Well, with tight ends... When searching for streamer tight ends, I don't immediately pull up player profiler. I know, shocking blasphemy! No, I just go to the schedule. I see which defenses are allowing the most fantasy points to opposing tight ends, and then I think through who could benefit most. And this week, a player that is available on 99% of waiver wires could be one of the league's top-scoring tight ends. And this player actually has draft capital. Just a couple years ago, Max Williams was a top pedigree prospect. And this week, the Baltimore Ravens are playing the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns were giving up 14.5 fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends. And all Max Williams is doing is establishing himself as the primary tight end in that Baltimore passing game. Because there's Nick Boyle, there's rookies like Mark Andrews commanding targets, and yet the tight end whose snap share is rising faster than any of the others is Max Williams. We show the weekly snap share on wide receivers and tight ends on the player profile or game log because, especially with tight ends, snaps matter. Targets oscillate wildly week to week depending on the defense a team is facing and the game plan that week. But the snaps don't lie. Max Williams has been an efficient receiver this year. The snaps are rising. The targets are rising. As of week three, his routes were in the double digits. And this week, he will enjoy a marshmallow matchup against Greg Williams' defense that specializes in creating as much space over the middle of the field for opposing tight ends as possible. Josh Norris is commented on Twitter that he can't wait for David Njoku to play the Browns. Good one. And if you love player props as much as I do, you will seek out the Max Williams player props, receptions, yards. Take the over on Max Williams. And the beauty is you go to the Max Williams profile on playerprofiler.com. You know that place where you can see Max Williams has a 99% college dominator. Just click the link to find Max Williams player props on my bookie. And I know you're going to go on there to play a single player prop, and you're going to end up sticking your toe in the water with a parlay. And my bookie is incentivizing you to go and try out a goof parlay. You pick three teams to win, and if you hit on all three, you turn $100 into $600. And you'll have additional money to spend because when you create an account for the first time on MyBookie, you go ahead and use that promo code UNDERWORLD and you get $25 of free play in addition to a 100% sign-up bonus. So you can go ahead and bet on the McGregor fight as well. So now, let's go talk to Nelson Souza, one of the best high-stakes players in the history of fantasy football. Follow him at the underscore franchise 12 on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program, Nelson Souza. That's right. Nelson Souza is one of the highest-profile, high-stakes players in the industry. A pleasure to have him on the Underworld for the first time. Nelson Souza, talk to me.
1: I, I, listen, I'm excited to. I, I couldn't believe when I got the invitation because the you know the great Matt Kelly. With, his, you know, his radio podcast wanted to, you know, bring me on. I was I was excited about this. So thank you for having
0: me. We got the tip from Chad Schroeder. Chad Schroeder said you were his primary competition in high stakes draft. So I thought, OK, Chad Schroeder was great. That was one of our most popular shows. We're going to bring on Nelson Souza, see if he can one up his friend, Chad Schroeder. So I love this new NFL. Nelson, I love scoring. I love fantasy points. You like fantasy points, right? You like fantasy points? Absolutely. Yeah. Who wants a defensive battle? I, I don't know. I don't know who these people are, but there are plenty of people hearkening to a football past, the golden age of football when no points were scored and more players were carted off the field with potentially career-threatening injuries and damaged brain tissue. So, is football better off with less vicious defenses and more scoring?
1: Before I answer that question, the one thing I will say that is annoying is the whole this whole thing of you can't touch the quarterback. I, you know, and and I think it... You would
0: prefer that the quarterbacks get hurt and we have to suffer through backup quarterback play? You want more Brock Osweiler? No,
1: listen, I, I don't want Brady getting hurt and Brian Hoyer being out there, and I don't want Rodgers hurt and... I don't want Kirk Cousins hurt. I don't want Patrick Mahomes. We can't have him hurt. Yeah, no, no, we can't have Patrick Mahomes hurt and then all of a sudden Andy Reid trades for Sam Bradford. We we don't want none of that garbage. That's right. All I'm saying is there is a couple of penalties that are a little bit annoying. But with that (laughs) said…
0: Cliche alert! Cliche alert! Cliche alert! As the cliche goes, to make an omelet, you gotta break some eggs. You gotta have some bad calls to keep these quarterbacks upright. Listen, I like
1: flag fo- I like flag football NFL.
0: You know, and, and that's what it's turning into. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. What's wrong with this? No, I, I like it. I went back and watched a best of NFL hits montage, and I had to stop it halfway through. I said, I can't watch this. This is Schadenfreude. Yeah. I don't want this in my life. I want feats of athletic brilliance within a swirl of violence, but I don't want the top performers injured. And I think the NFL is delivering this for the first time and it's wonderful.
1: Absolutely. Listen, the NFL is better off with, you know, the Beckhams and the the Hopkins and the Julios of the world. You you, you want playmakers out on the field. That's why you you watch you know, the game, you don't want a bunch of scrubs out there. And these, you know, like last week with Jacksonville and Tennessee, that was horrible. Nine to six game. Can't make it through that game. You can't watch that game. Yeah. Yeah. It's just no offense. You can't have that. So uh, to answer your question, I, I am enjoying it. I do like it. I do think there is a couple of annoying penalties. And, and that's also on the offensive end where like, like this past week, uh, Cincinnati was driving on Atlanta. Uh, Dalton threw like a dime right to AJ Green, uh, left corner of the end zone, caught it for a touchdown. And then it's like hands to the face, or it was like some stupid penalty against AJ Green, against like the offensive lineman. So oh. I, I think there's a lot of like ticky tack calls that actually go against the offense. I actually think the NFL could be
0: even more wide open. Oh, wow. So that's what I'm talking about. There we go. Now, talk about A.J. Green. I'm sure you drafted A.J. Green in a number of fantasy leagues. You're in a lot of leagues. You draft a lot of teams. How are your teams doing generally? Generally, they uh, were doing
1: very well up until this past week. And this past week, we've kind of felt the effects of McCaffrey on a bye week. We felt the effects Mm. of we own a lot of Joe Mixon. You know, no Joe Mixon this week. Um, And then... You know, Fournette, we're not overweight on Fournette. The, the problem is we've got Fournette in the biggest league of them all, which is a 20K entry league at, at the NFFC, and we, we took him. And it, it's kind of like a brain fart now, we're looking back, like, why did we take this freaking guy and, and you know, he's just missed like – it's like he's going to miss the whole year.
0: Yeah, and even when he plays, he doesn't catch passes, Nelson. Uh, Listen, I I just got to be better.
1: I I just listen, just say it. I, you you got to be better, bro. <laughs> You're not,
0: so that sounds like your biggest regret of the draft season. Who did you wish you would have selected instead of Leonard Fournette? Barkley, because I
1: all draft season I liked Barkley over Fournette.
0: Wait, you drafted Fournette
1: over Barkley in a league? Yeah, a twenty k league, not not just oh a league. My God. This is not your mom and pop you know, run mill local league. We're talking about a 20 K
0: entry. We take Fournette over Barkley. Okay. So in the future, when you're on another podcast, don't admit that say that you should have drafted Melvin Gordon instead or
1: Melvin Gordon. Sure. Or, or Melvin Gordon, but I liked Barkley over all those guys. Oh so.
0: yeah. Oh, oh, of course.
1: The honest, the honest answer is,
0: you know, Barkley all the way. It was fascinating watching expert drafts, Melvin Gordon and Christian McCaffrey being selected at the end of the first round, early second round, and they were going 10 slots later in traditional leagues. So were those the two running backs that the experts understood at a higher level than the average fantasy gamer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I mean, when you see like an ADP in like expert leagues or, or high stakes leagues. And then you look at um, the ADP of, you know, kind of a, a smaller dollar league. And and that's not to say that there's not great players uh, in these smaller dollar leagues. They might just not be able to afford, you know, a, a, a high stakes league, you know, that's a thousand plus or something like
0: that. $20,000 big baller Nelson yeah twenty thousand <laughs> love it love the big baller Nelson Susan absolutely
1: and uh so th- that's not to say that they're you know any less you know savvy but uh, obviously the ADP is the ADP and and if I mean put it this way you know by the time Vegas rolled around the the final week before the season started uh in All these high-stakes drafts, McCaffrey
0: was like a top-seven, top-eight pick. Unbelievable. And well-deserved, absolutely. His floor was so high. No running back had a higher floor heading into the season. Even Todd Gurley, I would argue, did not have the floor of Christian McCaffrey because Christian McCaffrey, stretching all the way back to his time at Stanford, has never been hurt. And at Stanford, he had a season with over 300 carries. And yet, no injuries. He has that je ne sais quoi factor you're looking for in a running back to get down and get out of bounds and not take huge hits. And the way he's deployed by the Panthers, he's not asked. In most cases, week three, he was more than 25 carries. But most weeks, they're not exposing Christian McCaffrey to the number of violent hits that a Leonard Fournette is facing every week.
1: Well, and, and McCaffrey is... Not a fat ass like Leonard Fournette and doesn't easily get, you know, dinged up with, you know, this little hammy issue uh, that he has.
0: That's right. No, that's the thing with Christian McCaffrey. Not only does he not miss games, he's never on the injury report. Go to the medical history report panel on Christian McCaffrey's player page. You won't find anything. I mean, he has the highest floor in fantasy football, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for high floor running backs. That was Ezekiel Elliott in the first round and that was Christian McCaffrey in the early second round this summer. Now, how would you describe your draft strategy throughout the 2018 offseason? My
1: draft strategy.
0: So, how do you approach a fantasy draft?
1: I probably unlike uh, you know, quite a few people you know, out there, I, uh, the average player, I automatically go through in the off season and I find who my uh, fade list is.
0: Oh, yes.
1: I compile that. That's the very first thing I do.
0: Who was your biggest fade of the season? The player you have zero in fantasy leagues. Well, out of 260 teams,
1: we have wow. zero David Johnson.
0: I was waiting for that moment in the show, and it just occurred. I'm impressed. Uh, thank you. And, and listen,
1: and that's not to, you know, we're only into week, you know, five. That's not to take a victory lap.
0: Oh, you can take a victory lap. That's what we do on the show. We take victory laps. <laughs> you were very smart to draft Ezekiel Elliott over David Johnson, as I did.
1: Yeah. It, the signs pointed to it. You know, you, you, you looked at, you know, Steve Wilkes is a defensive-minded head coach. He brings in Mike McCoy who I don't have, you know, a ton of respect for as far as being a, you know, a very good offensive coordinator. He's a retread. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's he's Brian Schottenheimer, 2.0, you know, and you you look at the offensive line, it's, it's not one of the greatest, probably, you know, actually, you know, bottom six offensive line.
0: That's right. They're one of the worst offensive lines in football.
1: And then look at the weapons. I, you know, I like Christian Kirk coming out of college, but, you know, he's, he's a rookie um and you got Larry Fitzgerald who you know I think is like 34 36 years old you know it I'd rather just be a year early on on guys than a year late and I just Larry Fitzgerald doesn't scare defenses anymore you know and you got Sam Bradford at quarterback and then eventually you were gonna move on to you know a rookie quarterback it was just a recipe for disaster. And I know a lot of people were looking at it as like, well, David Johnson is David Johnson. And listen, I, I love David Johnson. Well, he
0: is David Johnson. I mean, you can't argue with that point. David Johnson is, in fact, David Johnson.
1: If, if that is, in fact, his <laughs> real birth name. I, I don't know. I haven't done that research.
0: He's not Danny Johnson. He's David Johnson.
1: Yeah, so he's David Johnson, and we all know what David Johnson's capable of. And listen, two years ago, he won me a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, you know, Dave and I, you know, won the FFPC
0: main event. Right, David Hubbard, not David Johnson. Not David Johnson. Not to be confused with David Johnson. So David Hubbard liked David Johnson a couple years ago and won a bunch of money.
1: Yeah, that would be kind of awkward if it was David Johnson and I partnering on a fantasy team.
0: And then you didn't draft David Johnson (laughs) in any league. Imagine that. Your partner, David Johnson, begging you every time you're in that number four slot, take me, man. Take me, bro. Push the button. And you're like, nah, nah. Nah, nah. Not doing it. Kamara, sorry. Yep, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So take a step back. How do you approach a draft? What's your overarching strategy, if you can describe it? It Describe my draft strategy. Come on, Nelson. This was on the show sheet. You need to be prepared. Uh, okay. Okay. So I I compile a fade list,
1: and it's it's an actually a, an extensive fade list. So ah. w- within the first three rounds of players, uh, and I say three rounds meaning ADP wise. I, I look at those players and who I'm going to fade because I, I call them my landmines. I'm trying to avoid the landmines. Right. Because if, if you can do that in the first three rounds, even if you don't hit like the, the home run in the first three rounds, your team is still competitive.
0: You're focusing on high-floor players in the first three rounds. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: We, we, and, and they have good personnel around them. They they're they're surrounded by good personnel. So that's the first thing I do. And then my style is a very aggressive uh style. I, I don't necessarily go I don't go off of ADP. I, I just draft, you know, what I would call like my guys. You know, I have my cheat sheet. It's unlike any other cheat sheet, you know, that's out there, the average cheat sheet. I, I have guys
0: I'd like to take a look at that cheat sheet someday.
1: <laughs> I'd like to get a peek. Listen, like David Johnson, for example, on my cheat sheet, you would be like looking, you're like, okay, Barkley, okay, Gordon, Hunt, McCaffrey. You'd still be looking for David Johnson. David Johnson, I was never going to own him, but I just put his name out there just, I guess, you know.
0: Out of respect for your partner.
1: Out of respect. Um, You know, I I I put his name on the sheet, but he's a top four pick. And I've got him – you know, below second round players, you know, so
0: we're just never going to own them. So you had David Johnson below Keenan Allen.
1: Yeah. And, and Michael Thomas and Adams and AJ Green. I mean, put it this way, if, if faced, if somehow, which it never happened, if we're at pick 12 of the first round and it came to the turn and somehow David Johnson dropped, all the way down there to pick 12, I'm still taking Julio Beckham, Michael Thomas, Joe Mixon over him.
0: So that's where your strategy differs from Chad Schroeder. Chad Schroeder drafts based more on ADP. So his his preferences are more informed by the ADP, whereas you're more ADP agnostic. And you may be in a draft room selecting a player that most don't expect to be drafted for two rounds and you just look around and say, sorry guys, it's my guy. Eat it.
1: Yeah. So like in these, in these drafts, uh, let's say the, f- you, you, we're sitting there with like the number three pick, for example, and you, you get to the two, three turn and there was only a select few players that I was interested in, in the third round. And, and the rest of the guys were just kind of completely off my radar And if like Stefan Diggs went off the board before me, let's say team one took him at the turn in the third round, if, you know, it came down to it, I was taking Juju over everybody, you know, whoever was, whoever was there, like ADP wise. So to a lot of people, you know, looking at the draft board, they'd be like, you know, what the heck? He, He, you know, he took him over so-and-so an X player and Z player, you know, but that's kind of, that's my style. That's kind of, that's how I draft.
0: That's how you roll. So was Juju Smith-Schuster your highest owned player in fantasy drafts? He's, he's definitely close to it. it. As far as the early round picks. Yeah. In the first six rounds, you have more Juju than any other player.
1: Juju, Corey Davis, McCaffrey, Mixon those would be the four guys.
0: Oh a get right game for Corey Davis in week four. you had a vigorous exhale watching Corey Davis last week, right?
1: I incorporate stacks uh, stats and analytics into my uh, research but I'm not just purely a stats guy but if you looked at the stats, he was getting the targets he he was he was up there with all the top receivers. Um, in, you know, targets per route run.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, we have an article on playerprofiler.com written last week by John Miller featuring Corey Davis as the number one by low wide receiver in fantasy football based on his target share and his target distance. When you look at you know total air yards, incomplete and complete, total target distance on playerprofiler.com, there was Corey Davis in the top 10. You look at target share, there was Corey Davis in the top 10. You knew based on opportunity that he would be on the positive side of weekly variants sooner rather than later. And sure enough, week four pop, you, you knew it was coming. You
1: knew it was coming. And and I'm more of a scouting guy. I I watch all the games. And then usually on Mondays is when I go back and I, you know, I put on the game pass, you know, uh, from NFL.com and I, I'll watch, you know, a game over again. If there's certain things that I wanted to look at that I didn't pick up on Sunday. So I, Just watching the games, I knew that, you know, it's just a matter of time before this guy gets going. You know, we need Marietta healthy. We need Gabbard out of there. And it's, you know, sooner or later that offense is going to start gelling.
0: The arm looked fine to me yesterday. It did. It did. Yeah. So who was your favorite player to select in the later rounds of fantasy drafts? In the later rounds, it it probably became, like, how later are we talking about? Let's just say the last five rounds. Once you have your quarterback... And everyone's drafting a defense, and you're sneaking in another position player. Who was that guy? That
1: guy was probably Ito
0: Smith. Oh, this podcast is sponsored by the Ito Smith Fan Club. <laughs> we love Ito Smith. What do you like about Ito Smith? Well, I just
1: I knew that he was pretty talented kid, but for whatever reason, you know wasn't invited to
0: the combine you know and that was a travesty you're not inviting ito smith to the combine they also didn't invite philip Lindsay to the combine whoever's handing out the invitations at the nfl needs to be fired <laughs> why because they're not 200 pounds well guess what ito smith checked in at exactly 200 pounds so even that knockout criteria was false nfl combine invitation person ito smith a 33.9% dominator rating, and a 13.4% college target share at Southern Miss. At Southern Miss, he was the focal point of the offense in all phases, and I love that when an undersized running back with juice goes uninvited to the combine, or in the case of Philip Lindsay, goes undrafted, because that player can be a great source of fantasy points, specifically in PPR leagues, if the player lands on the right offense, and in the case of Edo Smith, he landed on the right offense. Uh, absolutely,
1: I I, I got to think that you know it, it was a school, it was a small conference, and that probably had something
0: to do with it. That you know he wasn't playing against you know big competition. The NFL scouting industrial complex is famously biased against players like Edo Smith, and it is maddening.
1: The, listen, like in any profession. You're gonna have these experts and these, you know, uh, NFL scouts that are gonna get it wrong, and and they're gonna miss players. And you know, Lindsey and Ito Smith is one of them. Like Ito Smith, to me, like he didn't even look all that impressive in the preseason to me, but I knew he looked impressive to me in college. And when when I looked when I looked at that situation, it, it just I thought thought to me you know it's a 5050 timeshare with Freeman and Coleman and then the Thursday night game um, that's really where like I started moving Ito Smith like a 18th round I just wanted to make sure I got him you know that not, not like it's anything crazy moving him from the 20th to the 18th but I wanted to make sure I got him because in that 50 50 timeshare, if one of those guys goes down, he's going to be viable throughout the season when their bye weeks kick in and everything. And look at last week. I lucked into it where I have a ton of McCaffrey, and he's on a bye, and I've got Mixon and hurt, and I got to play somebody. And you know what? Okay, Ito Smith goes in the lineup. Yes. Yes, Nelson. <laughs> Sometimes yes! you got to get lucky. He scored a
0: touchdown.
1: Yeah. Woo! And he looks good. Like, the coaches trust him. Like He looks great! In the red zone, it's not like he comes off the field and Coleman comes on. They use him. They leave him out there in the red zone, you know? So that's what's impressive.
0: I mean, he looks like Devontae Freeman out there to Tevin Coleman. Because Tevin Coleman has that explosive, one-cut running style. Ito Smith features more lateral quickness so he can get around defenders that penetrate in the backfield like Devontae Freeman and salvage yards that Tevin Coleman cannot salvage so he's a great compliment to Tevin Coleman yeah
1: absolutely it I mean Coleman I I, I like Coleman a lot but you know he's a little stiff he, he's he's more of that you know slasher type running back yeah
0: DeMarco Murray type
1: yeah and and Ito is that guy that like, if you watch that game uh, Sunday, you you saw, like, man, this kid looks like he's got some juice, and
0: he's got hands, and... He, oh, yeah, he has juice. And your argument for Ido Smith harkens back to the argument that Chad Schroeder laid out for drafting Aaron Jones last year in the later rounds. hmm Yep. Same, similar player in a similar situation.
1: Absolutely. So, he, he's got guys in front of him, but... Just on talent alone, you you look at it and you look at the offense because, you know, Packers offense, Falcons offense, it's it's a high scoring offense. Right. So that's the kind of guy that you want on your rosters in case an injury hits. It's not listen. It's not like he's just going to play his way on and, you know. Uh, take over for Freeman or Coleman he needs an injury and you know that's happened so far
0: and throughout the offseason we knew that Devonte Freeman was battling this knee injury and what we saw in week one was simply a recurrence and going back through time Tevin Coleman has not finished the year with 16 games played hamstring issues and concussion issues on Tevin Coleman's medical history report so it made perfect sense to bet on Ido Smith in those final rounds So your biggest hit was Juju Smith-Schuster, based on ADP. Your best fade was David Johnson, clearly. Your biggest regret from the draft season was Leonard Fournette over Melvin Gordon. We won't talk about the fact that Saquon Barkley was available there, even though it was $20,000. Yeah. So when you look at that Leonard Fournette pick, that's what you would zero in on and argue on behalf of Zero RB. Was Zero RB a sound draft strategy this season?
1: It wasn't. Again, with us having 260 teams, um, you're, we're gonna ha- We can't make every team look the same, right? And and one of the things that we actually uh, like doing is actually going against the grain or going against the masses. So this year it was kind of like the running back craze. And when you sit back and look, what happened last year with like Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara? Being, you know, like ninth round picks and turning into like top three, you know, fantasy, you know, running backs. As rookies. As rookies. That does not happen every year. It's just, that's not the new NFL is how I felt. So, and, and then you look at
0: the receivers. Each and every year, the NFL is skewing more pass heavy. The pass to run ratio is going up every year. Even if fantasy football running back scoring has risen the last couple of years that does not nullify the longer range trend that the NFL is a passing league and becoming more so with every season
1: absolutely so this year if you were drafting anywhere in the draft but let's just say the back end and you started a draft of Julio Michael Thomas or you know Beckham Michael Thomas and then you come back in the third round and you take Juju and like digs. And then you litter your team with like James Connor, Chris Thompson, James White,
0: James White. Thank you for mentioning top seven fantasy running back. James White, the least expensive Patriot who is always the play. The least expensive Patriots running back is the guy to draft. Whenever you have an ambiguous backfield, especially in New England, you take the least expensive guy. This year, it was James White. Absolutely. So,
1: listen, you're not going to hit the perfect draft. You know, obviously, we're this is kind of hindsight drafting a little bit by saying, oh, you know, you go four wide and then you, you got, I mean, you got to have these running backs.
0: Well, this is what I do, Nelson. <laughs> we look back. And we pick and choose the best picks from various drafts. And oh, this is how I drafted last year. This is how I draft. Yeah. That, so
1: we, we, all look, we all look like we're experts. Like-
0: we are experts. This is what we do. We play experts on the podcast. You happen to be an expert in real life. So you're putting your mouth where, so you're putting your money where your analysis is, unlike myself, where I just talk.
1: Got it. All right. So let's look like geniuses. So if you started your draft where you're taking Julio, Michael Thomas with like Diggs, Juju, Thielen, like any combination of those guys. Right. Or let's say you sprinkled in a, a running back, you know, there in the third round. And and then you took like a Cooper Cup, you know, later or, you know, somebody like that. Right. Corey Davis or Corey Davis. You took Corey Davis later. You're, and then you hammered the running backs, and you ended up with, and you only need two of them. So let's say you ended up with like a James White or and a James Conner and a Sony. Even Sony, you know, looks like now,
0: you know, he he's going to be uh, viable. It's happening, Sony Michelle. Here's my nickname. Just press play. Just just press play, right? You get it, Sony the electronics.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Just press play. Put him in the lineup. Good to go. So yeah, I mean that's going against the masses, right? The masses w- were, it was the running back craze. Let, let's let's take you know David Johnson with you know Dalvin Cook and Devonte Freeman and Alex Collins and. Okay, you are off Alex Collins, right? I have zero Alex Collins.
0: Thank you. These signature fraud running back of the draft.
1: L- listen, here here's one of my. This is one of my rules, okay? It's like rule number four.
0: Good, yeah. I'm glad that you're making up an arbitrary number. This is good. You're getting very good at this. Yes, yeah. So
1: rule number four, you never draft a running back that the year prior he was a waiver wire pickup in the top four rounds, top five rounds.
0: Is this the Justin Forsett corollary? Zach Stacey. Oh, Zach Stacy, even better.
1: So it, it it's my Zach Stacy rule from that's way right. back when. No, that's right, it, it's perfect. You you don't take Alex Collins was a waiver wire pickup last year. You don't go and draft him in the first 5 rounds. Anyone any running back with an ADP in the first 5 rounds That was a waiver wire pickup the year before is a no-no.
0: Now, Alvin Kamara was not a waiver wire pickup. He might have been dropped in a few leagues early on last season. He's the number one player in fantasy. He is smashing all expectations. And if you drafted Alvin Kamara, you're probably in first place right now. What are your expectations for him when Mark Ingram returns, though? Okay, so I'm definitely
1: light on Alvin Kamara. This year, my Alvin Kamara shares are very light, and the reason for it. And and listen, I'm I'm wrong. I'm not going to be perfect, but I understand that this show right here is all about perfection. And and I'm kind of throwing myself under the bus.
0: Well, you're, you're you're being honest. It's fine. Yeah, that's what we do. We, we we sprinkle in some honesty to give us credibility for the big lie later. Yeah, for the
1: fabrication later. Exactly. I'm setting it up early in the show. Yeah, you get
0: you get it. You're going to be a very Accomplished fantasy football podcast host. If you ever decide to retire from high stakes fantasy football leagues,
1: I appreciate it. I, I I hope to one day follow in your footsteps.
0: You're on your way, sir. Thank you. All right, Alvin Kamara, get focused.
1: Alvin Kamara, get focused. Back to it. Alvin Kamara. It was like the CJ 2K of a few years ago when he had that outlier season where it was you know six yards a carry it was like 11 yards a catch and that's what Kamara averaged last year it was a super highly efficient season for him
0: yeah, it appeared unsustainable on its face there you go yeah though he has carried it over into 2018 it's not any less unsustainable correct but so far the
1: kamara truthers uh, are are looking pretty good you know they're spreading their peacock feathers and they they look to be um you know ge- like geniuses and you know for a guy like me
0: he's been great and certainly he's going to perform above expectation given his explosiveness and his role in that offense no one says he's not going to be above expectation but mark ingram is returning and mark ingram will have a role and that matters he's gonna have a role the The touches are gonna be cut back uh
1: for kamara i mean Peyton is probably looking at it saying, you you know, Kamara is kind of, he's kind of, I mean, he's put together as a running back, but I, I I don't think he, you know, expected to, no one can expect Kamara to have that kind of workload when Ingram got back, but they did expect it the first four games of the season. And I think that's what Peyton was looking at it saying, you know what, we have a bunch of scrubs behind them. Let's just, let's work them. Let's win these games, and when Ingram gets back, let's lighten the load because we need him healthy, you know, at the end of the year.
0: Now, what about Le'Veon Bell? What are your expectations for Le'Veon Bell when he returns? The current reports suggest he will return after the Steelers buy in week seven. Why? That, that, that makes no
1: sense to me. Like, Le'Veon Bell, today, you know, this year is making no sense at all to me, and The interesting thing was, I debated whether to fade him this year and and just completely leave him alone. And I didn't. I I did draft him. And it makes no sense why hold out and and lose all this money and then come back week seven? Like, why that date? You know, is it because it's just, you know, a, a couple of weeks ahead of, you know, the trade deadline? Is it he's putting it out there? hoping that you know teams that the Steelers are negotiating with you know realize that hey you know he's ready to play football and you know let's make a deal happen does he really is he sincere in what he's saying that he you know hopes to get a long term deal done with the Steelers you know he just saw look what happened with Earl Thomas this past week so why week 7 week 7 is not going to make it any less likely that you get hurt on a franchise tag, and now you don't have a long term deal and you're damaged goods next year.
0: Are you listening, Le'Veon Bell? Nelson Souza knows what he's talking about. Now, looking at wide receivers, we love the consolidated target shares. You talked about Diggs and Thielen. I've been advocating for Hopkins and Fuller in DFS the last couple of weeks. You love Juju Smith-Schuster. That's why. With those teams, you see the consolidated target share. Is there a team out there that has a similar consolidated target share? They're just throwing the ball to two guys, but we are slow in understanding what this might mean for the players involved.
1: I, I think you're you're probably looking at like in Baltimore with Crabtree and Smokey Brown. You get Snead involved a little bit, but that seems like
0: you know a wide receiver group that could be more consolidated. That's right. They don't have a running back that commands a significant target share. They do not have a tight end that commands a significant target share yet. And if Joe Flacco is going to throw for over 300 yards a game, then they can support three fantasy relevant wide receivers, especially John Brown, because he's operating in those deeper quadrants and his skill set fits nicely with Joe Flacco. I I got him my fair share. Got, Got a little bit of him. If you built a best ball receiver in a lab, it would look like John Brown. How anyone would pass on John Brown in the double digit rounds of best ball leagues, I have no idea. John Brown exemplifies the great wide receiver 2 renaissance that we're experiencing led by Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, do you agree that we're in the midst of a great wide receiver 2 renaissance? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and
1: that's and that's the thing is the NFL is always changing and and there's always those outlier years and I think we're going back to the wide receiver you know heavy uh, drafts and people are gonna see you know what watch next year next year it's gonna be all about drafting you know three four wide receivers in the first few rounds and then taking all these other you know taking these running backs because Except for your half a dozen backs, you know, every backfield is a timeshare, you know. So why pay a premium for that when you can have an A.J. Green, a Keenan Allen, a Michael Thomas? That's right.
0: That's right. Now, we talked about Juju. We talked about John Brown. Give me one more number two receiver that you love. Mike Williams.
1: And and it's frustrating because, to me, Mike Williams, I think, is actually – more talented than Keenan Allen. Okay, I don't know if that's a hot take or, or anything, but...
0: Well, he was drafted in the top 10. Certainly the NFL scouting industrial complex believes he is. So people forgot, I think, a little bit about that, that Mike Williams
1: was a top 10 pick last year by the Chargers. And he battled,
0: you know, back injuries and just... It was, it was a lost year. Well, you know what happened, right? He collided head first with the goalpost and broke his neck, Nelson. It's kind of understandable. If that guy (laughs) has back problems in his first year in the league, I'm going to excuse the games missed and go ahead and not label him injury prone and realize he got into an accident. He's now healthy. And in that system, with Phillip Rivers as his quarterback, there's a lot of fantasy points he could be scoring. And and Travis Benjamin and Tyrell Williams are just kind of
1: like, they're just... Jags right they're just run-of-the-mill you know wide receivers so well, they're
0: fast that's what's nice but neither were drafted so you have a top 10 pick competing for targets with undrafted players exactly so
1: and now you have no Hunter Henry there so Mike Williams made you know made sense to me it it he seems like he seemed like that high upside pick and we've seen now glimpses of it but then last week Just when you think it's safe to put Mike Williams in your lineup, you know, Travis Benjamin's back, and now it, you know, Mike Williams kind of like gets phased out of the game plan where he should be commanding, you know, six to eight targets a game.
0: You know, my biggest lesson learned in fantasy drafts this past season was I did not maximize wide receiver upside on my bench. This was one of my great failings. In drafts where I had the opportunity to select a Corey Davis and a Kenny Galladay and a Chris Godwin, I came away with one of them instead of three of them. And inevitably, a Kelvin Benjamin would fall so far that I would draft him based on projected target share alone. And that was a mistake. Go ahead and lock in your starters early in the draft, a wide receiver, and then your entire bench should be populated with the highest possible upside wide receivers, John Brown included. And that was clearly your approach, hoarding all this Corey Davis. What about Kenny Galladay? Same rule applies with Kenny Galladay, right? Absolutely. Own a lot of Kenny Galladay, you know, uh, and that, like you said, that's kind of how we approach a draft is even in the ffpc there are wide receivers available on the waiver wire if one of your receivers doesn't fire you might as well chase the upside absolutely so like
1: benjamin and like those kind of players just it's a wasted pick it
0: doesn't matter you're letting the adp dictate your roster and that's what you do not do yeah it's just a you you got to take upside there. Galladay, uh, Geronimo Allison
1: is another you know wide receiver we're interested in.
0: Yeah, the number three receiver on a prolific offense. It just so happens that Kenny Galladay has that size-adjusted athleticism and college dominance that Geronimo Allison did not bring to the table. That's why Kenny Galladay was often drafted around 9 and 10, where Allison was going in rounds 13, 14, 15. But either way they're logging a 90% snap share with two of the NFL's best quarterbacks because the Packers and the Lions play a lot of three wide receiver sets.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and, I, and then to add one more to it,
1: and I actually think that these two guys might end up being— Oh, please say this guy. Please say the guy I think you're going to say. Please. I think these two guys are going to end up being like waiver wire pickups of the year. Okay, so say it. They weren't necessarily say it. Dra- drafted heavily. Say it. Antonio Callaway?
0: No. You're you're so sad. <laughs> thought you were going to say tyler boyd tyler oh come on with tyler boyd what do you mean come on with tyler boyd i will not come on with tyler boyd because i came on the show in front of this microphone and said that tyler boyd is the most underrated slot receiver in the league and he like a lot of these other young receivers was dominant at the college level at an early age all he needed was an opportunity they cut brandon lafell that's all i needed to see Sorry, go ahead. Listen, he's been good,
1: but Tyler Boyd doesn't fit my my profile. He's not fast enough. He's not fast enough. He's not fast enough. I get it. Yeah, Antonio Callaway is, and and it's just a matter of time. He's getting the targets.
0: He is getting the targets. I'll I i can not take that away from him.
1: And 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 like some crazy, crazy stuff is happening right now with him. Like he caught that fifty yarder from Baker, and like steps out at the one, like just some crazy stuff going on like
0: crazy stuff that would plague a rookie without attention to detail
1: this is true but could could this meathead eventually figure it out as the season goes on
0: oh I think that he's destined to figure it out as long as he stays healthy because Baker Mayfield will not allow him to not figure it out exactly so there you
1: go so so that's I think he's gonna end up be being the the waiver wire pickup of the year maybe uh, let's do a co waiver wire pickup of the year with tyler boyd
0: thank you thank you for that i appreciate that now taylor gabriel was a top 10 receiver in week four and in best ball leagues you drafted him for that week four i mean you won if you drafted taylor gabriel at the end of drafts in best ball leagues you got your week four that's all you needed do you participate in best ball leagues i don't so you don't have any taylor gabriel i have You understand the philosophy behind drafting a Taylor Gabriel in the final rounds of a best ball league, right?
1: Yeah, just like Taiwan Taylor.
0: Yes, 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 now we're back in line. Yes, Taiwan Taylor is the perfect example, is another young explosive receiver who needed to be drafted ahead of receivers who projected to command a higher target share.
1: Yeah, well, we're back online because we're talking about fast
0: receivers and not Tyler Boyd anymore. Hey, hey, Well, you know who doesn't have any burst? It's Calvin Ridley. (laughs) Calvin Ridley's touchdown rate is unsustainable. And there's no argument he has the highest touchdown rate for any wide receiver in the history of the NFL. And Julio Jones, across from him, has the lowest touchdown rate by any receiver through four weeks in the history of the NFL. Neither is sustainable. Given that, who will be the most productive rookie receiver from week five onward? I sent you the show sheet in advance, man. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. So let, let me check that. This is so on the show sheet. Just look at your notes.
1: Okay, hold on, hold on. Let me see. Uh, did you name him? You, you didn't you didn't name him. Hold on. You
0: can't seriously be this incompetent. It's going to be... It could be Christian Kirk. It could be Antonio Calloway. Is that who it's going to be? So I like where we're going with this. I think I can guide you toward a take that pleases both of us. So if you say that Antonio Callaway will outscore Calvin Ridley moving forward, I'm happy and you're happy. I'll give you Kiki T. Yes!
1: Even better!
0: Fuck you, Calvin Ridley. Yes. Now, we talked about number two receivers. I'll give you a couple more. Do you think Sterling Shepard can sneak into the top 24 wide receivers in fantasy football?
1: No. No. Unfortunately, No? no. No. Unfortunately, I think Beckham, overtime's is just going to command a higher target share. Evan Ingram's not lost for the year, so he'll come back. They're going to spread it around. And at the end of the day, Barkley's going to get a ton of targets. There's just so much to go around right now that I just don't think Shepard's going to command that. And then, plus, you st- Eli's still Eli.
0: Okay. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, a far superior quarterback to Eli Manning. No tight end of consequence to compete for targets with. Can Cameron Meredith sneak into the top 24?
1: No. No, because you got Mark Ingram coming back. And with Ingram, Kamara, and and it's so, it, it's so isolated that... Those targets are very concentrated. You're right. It's Thomas, Kamara, Ingram, and then you got a little bit of Watson. You got a little bit of Ted Ginn Jr. It, it, Meredith is perfect for, like, best ball because he's going to have a couple of those 100-yard, two-touchdown games. It's going to happen, but it, it, he's just nowhere near consistent that you can just – a top 24 guy essentially over time becomes so consistent that he's in your lineup each and every week. M- Meredith, is that's never going to happen with
0: him. All right. So you need consistency. I get it. Okay. A quarterback better than Eli Manning sitting in the number one wide receiver chair who offers consistent fantasy production each and every week. How high can Devin Funchess go in fantasy football?
1: Oh, geez. Oh, geez. We're, we're back
0: to slow receivers again. Okay. Devin Funchess is... Be careful because I'm giving you what you want. I'm giving you the receiver in the perfect situation that you just described. That you wanted.
1: Yeah, it's going to be DJ Moore that they're in Carolina overtime. It's, this it's season, not Devin F- yeah, this season.
0: Wow, I love it and I hate it at the same time. That's the theme of the show. I'm loving and hating it. Those
1: coaches are dicking around. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. They, they've got Torrey Smith out there. You know, he. You know, he's dropping passes. He's not all that great.
0: Torrey Smith's dropping passes. They got Jarius Wright in the slot. Give me a break. What do teams love to do on their bye week? Install rookie skill position players to replace the obsolete, underperforming veterans. So if you told me that DJ Moore is going to come out in week five and command 10 targets, that's totally believable.
1: Yeah, because right now you you got Olsen out, and I think it's going to be McCaffrey and DJ Moore. I, I think that's where the target share is going to be
0: concentrated on I love it and I hate it. Similar to satellite backs, I love satellite backs, but I hate how inconsistent they are week to week. So who's best positioned to be a top twenty four running back? Is it Tariq Cohen, Philip Lindsay, Duke Johnson, Eckler, Javorius Allen? Give me a satellite back that you think is going to smash expectations the rest of the way.
1: Lindsay's kind of like the hyped guy, right? So how can he really smash yeah, Lindsay's already happened,
0: so it's going to be difficult for Lindsay to keep it up.
1: Yeah, and, and I would even say the guy that my vote would go to is Eckler, but I would even say that he's kind of like already on the radar.
0: Oh, he's well on the radar, but you think that he can maintain his productivity the rest of the season because that would be Danny Woodhead-level satellite back production. And I'm excited for the league to have another Danny Woodhead in a Chargers uniform, no less.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, it, you know, I would probably say that it's going to be James White, actually, uh, out of— Out of all the satellite backs, that's going to kind of smash. You know, you use the word smash.
0: That's my fault. I forgot about James White. Even though he's on all my teams, I somehow forgot about him. And I apologize to James White. I apologize to his family. I apologize to you for not including him on this list. And thank you for correcting me. Now, I also didn't include Aaron Jones because Aaron Jones is not a satellite back. I think that Aaron Jones is an all-purpose back. Are you ready for the Aaron Jones show in Green Bay?
1: I am but McCarthy obviously
0: is not, right? So I don't think he's I don't think
1: he's getting the hint, you know, Rodgers, you know, has come out and kind of, you know, thrown it out there that he wants more Aaron Jones and less of those other two scrubs,
0: right? Thank you Aaron. Thank you. The voice of reason on the Packers, Aaron Rodgers. And and it's almost like McCarthy's doing it like to piss him off, right? It, it doesn't it
1: seem like it? Like like I'm the head coach you're not the boss, I'm the boss, you know? He's kind of like that fat boss that you have at work, right? That needs to throw his weight around.
0: And he's admonishing you while eating potato chips. He has something stuck in his teeth while he's yelling at you. Yes, that is the Mike McCarthy archetype we're all familiar with. And he needs to play Aaron Jones. And Aaron Jones will finish the season as a top 24 running back. I'm just not sure in which week he will start to dominate the touches in Green Bay, but it is going to happen. Just like Alfred Morris never happened. It was never going to happen.
1: Matt Breda is going to happen.
0: Well, right. We love Matt Breda because he's young and explosive, and Alfred Morris is none of those things. Yet Alfred Morris was being selected in the first 10 rounds of fantasy drafts after the Jarek McKinnon injury. And I'm pleased to say that I... Have no Alfred Morris in fantasy football, and I bid zero on him in dynasty i don 't want him anywhere near my fantasy teams should alfred morris 's bust be on the grave site for coach worship
1: I think so I think so i think I think people. To give people a pass that do own Alfred Morris, I, I think they were reading too much into the history
0: with him and Shanahan. Thank you. Shanahan, 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 Shanahan. Stop chasing coaches to the extent that you would draft the least explosive running back in the NFL
1: in the top 100. That, that doesn't catch passes, right? And he doesn't even catch
0: passes. Shanahan and Alfred Morris were a thing
1: like back in like 1998.
0: You fade coach-centric narratives, right? Is that one of your cheat codes for developing your fade big board? I'm going to call it the Nelson Souza fade big board from now on.
1: Okay, so I got I to gotta come back from like the Wizard of Oz and Fantasyland and fabrication. And I got to be a little honest. Obviously, I do chase it to a certain degree because, you know, I told you about earlier – how the Seattle offense was a total fade for me.
0: But it was more a fade because Russell Wilson lost all his weapons. Doug Baldwin was hurt. The offensive line is subpar. Schottenheimer is just an additional factor on top of a lot of other factors, but he's not the yeah. main reason you were fading the Seattle Seahawks offense. It, it was, it
1: was a, a good percentage of the pie of why I was fading it. So I do believe in the offensive coordinator can have a huge impact, negative or positive. And so I do, I have to be honest. I chase it a little bit because Schottenheimer was a big part of why I faded.
0: Were you on a Jarek McKinnon in round three before his injury? No. Well, there you go. So you're okay. So you're okay. Man. We're salvaging this. You're fine.
1: I, I don't chase it because I owned zero McKinnon Thank before you. his injury. Do you know why? Yeah. Tell me why. Because Jarek McKinnon. I go back to a Friday night many years ago when Adrian Peterson uh, hit his son and basically was going to be suspended and needed to make a decision that night on who's going to be the running back to own in Minnesota from this point forward. And my choices were this very athletic running back from
0: Georgia Southern,
1: Georgia Southern or... This fullback that's on the roster named Matt Aziata.
0: Oh god. Guess who I chose? Aziata. No, no, of course I didn't chose chose I Aziata. We're going back and we're scrubbing all the details of our past transactions. So we can be right every time.
1: I do not chase fat fullbacks. I do not like slow players.
0: You won't scrub that one because it would just be too offensive for your to your it would it would just too offend your sensibilities.
1: Yes. so I chose Jarek McKinnon. I chose the fast guy. Yeah. Right? And what happened that year?
0: It was a face plant of epic proportion.
1: He couldn't beat out
0: a fat fullback. That was very sad. I blame the coaches on that. I think the coaches have more power to cripple a player's production than enhance it. That's my take. Now, let's play a game. Let's play a game. Is there an echo? Rapid fire. Fraud or no fraud? Fraud or no fraud? Fraud or no fraud? Is Dalvin Cook a fraud? Yes. Oh, this is good. Alex Collins? Yes. Jordan Howard? Yes. Leonard Fournette?
1: Yes. Oh, this is great!
0: It only gets easier from here. Oh, my head. Lamar Miller? Yes. Kenyon Drake? Yes. Derrick Henry? Yes. Jamal Williams? Yes. Jordan Wilkins? Yes. finally, last and, and possibly least, Isaiah Crowell? Yes. There's a lot of fraud running backs in the NFL. You know who's not a fraud? James White. He's in the top 10. And neither is Matt Breida. Absolutely. Matt Breida is actually helped by the switch to C.J. Bethard, you would agree? Absolutely. C- C.J. was the one quarterback, when you
1: look back at last year, that targeted his running backs you know, at a
0: huge amount. Is such a disproportionate rate, over thirty percent, where Jimmy Garoppolo is targeting running backs at under ten percent. The differential between Jimmy Garoppolo and CJ Bethard's running back target share was a chasm. Now you also mentioned Sony Michelle. Will he be the second most productive rookie running back this season when it's all said and done after Saquon Barkley? I don't I think he's gonna
1: be very good, but right now what I'm concerned about with Sony from watching that game, uh Actually, the last couple of weeks, but especially this past week with Miami, because I knew after getting blown out by Detroit that this was going to be a get-well game for them and that they were going to smoke Miami. I don't like that he's not catching passes. It, it It's very much so that when he's running the ball, they're using like two tight end sets, heavy personnel. You have James Devlin –
0: they're deploying him like Legarrette Blunt.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so. So that worries me. So the hundred yards and the occasional touchdown is gonna happen. But he's game
0: script dependent. G- correct. You know who's not game script dependent? A better all around running back is Karrion Johnson. You think Karrion Johnson will outscore Sony Michelle this season? He
1: should. That's my answer. He should. He should. But but those co- again, coaches in the NFL are are, are maddening, like terrible. Why are you using LeGarrette Blount when, and why are you even bothering with Theo Riddick other than like a little change of pace, you know, couple of series in a game? Kerryon Johnson can do the same thing that Blount and Riddick does, and
0: he can do it better. You really are getting this football podcasting thing down. Welcome to my life, Nelson Souza. Let's talk quarterback for a moment. They matter less than ever because supporting casts, make or break quarterback production is something we've been talking about for weeks it's the theme of the season so given that what's the earliest you would draft a quarterback in a league like the ffpc 10th round so 10th round and what does a quarterback have to possess on his profile to motivate you to draft him in the 10th round uh he would have to be named cam newton that's right because going back through time The one quarterback that always shows up in the top five list is Cam Newton, and it's not Aaron Rodgers because every other season he's hurt. So he shows up in the top five in fantasy points per game, but on a fantasy points per season basis, the most consistent quarterback the last five years has been Cam Newton. It's Cam Newton, Cam Newton, Cam Newton. Absolutely. Just like drafting Christian McCaffrey on the same team, the Panthers, you draft Cam Newton to establish that floor. And then you can get the ceiling by also drafting Patrick Mahomes rounds later if you'd like. Do you think we're going to witness a Patrick Mahomes regression at any point this season? I mean, if he's going to go out and beat the Broncos on the final two drives and save his fantasy week with a rushing touchdown, how the hell are we ever going to see a Patrick Mahomes regression?
1: I think... Last night was going to be the best opportunity because at the beginning of the game, it was playing out where I was sitting there, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting for it and I think this might be the game. This might This might be the game where Denver's getting in the backfield, he's running around, he's kind of throwing the ball in the dirt. And we haven't seen that yet, you know, out of him. We haven't seen him uh, uncomfortable back there in the pocket. That's right. But but then he realizes that he's got a fucking left hand. <laughs> a fucking left hand, that's right. Like like he's going to toss it like a wiffle ball, you know, to Tyreek to get the first down. And, and, you know, and then he we forgot that he's got wheels and that he can run it in. And, and then, oh, we also forgot that he's got like a cannon for an arm.
0: Oh, I never forgot that. Oh, you can't forget that.
1: It's, it's almost like it's impossible. He's got too many weapons. He's got too many weapons to fail. Yeah.
0: Patrick Mahomes is in a position where he cannot fail. Now, what about Baker Mayfield? Because if you needed to find a young quarterback with equivalent talent to Patrick Mahomes, I think the place you would turn is Baker Mayfield. I love Baker. But is he even a lock to be the most productive rookie quarterback? I love Baker. Absolutely. Do so you think it's going to be Baker? It won't be Josh Rosen. It won't be Sam Darnold. It's, it's the Baker Mayfield show.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, Baker. All the way, Baker. Baker has that it factor. When, when you when you watch those quarterbacks, those rookie quarterbacks, it, it, he's the guy that, you know, like, you know, hey, motherfucker, jump on my back. let's Let's go get it. He
0: also has better weapons than Josh Rosen, because I think Josh Rosen also showed some hit factor as well. Made some throws to the boundary that the average NFL quarterback simply cannot make.
1: Yeah, but Matt, we're talking about this year.
0: No, I know. And Baker Mayfield has a better number one receiver in Jarvis Landry. And I think the biggest differential is in the tight end play. Baker has David Njoku. I think that he is going to be Baker Mayfield's secret weapon the remainder of the season, and he was one of those upside tight ends I was chasing in the rounds I wasn't drafting a Kenny Galladay or a Chris Godwin, but there are so many tight ends that have fallen by the wayside. Have you been, has the, have you been clotheslined by any of these tight end injuries?
1: So to back up just a little bit, I, I will say Ricky Seals Jones is talented in his own right. So I don't want to just say like he's... I don't want to just say like he's chopped liver in comparison to the joke.
0: Chopped liver? Oh, got to give you a cliche alert sounder for that one. But Ricky Seals-Jones is a move tight end. He's a better version of Trey Burton. And that's great. In that role, he's going to be producing fantasy points, but... I love David Njoku because he will be in the game in all situations. So he'll be the one in the back of the end zone on the one-yard line when Baker Mayfield's rolling out. He's the one running down the seam. So I think that very few NFL tight ends have the upside of David Njoku, and I think it's certainly higher than Ricky Seals-Jones, though I respect what Ricky Seals-Jones can do. He's better than Trey Burton. But how do we handle the tight end position every year, Nelson? Because it's impossible to navigate these landmines. Your signature expertise is avoiding landmines in fantasy drafts. How do you avoid landmines at the tight end position? You punt it. Listen, Gronk could always have
1: a very good year but I wasn't interested in him where he was being drafted. And I love Gronk. I'm a, I'm a Gronk homer. We're contractually obligated
0: to say we love Gronk on every show. Yeah, absolutely. Travis Kelsey love Travis Kelsey also contractually obligated
1: had ended up having a good game. It looked like he was on his way to a clunker, you know, and he put it together in the second half.
0: Great players find a way.
1: Yeah. Zach Ertz, you know, he's getting it done, you know, with volume. Um, But I I just wasn't I wasn't interested in those top tight ends like Greg Olson, like Mm. old, old guy, Delaney Walker, old guy, you know, not not interested in those guys. So for me, I'm more of a, you know, not a rookie tight end, but like younger tight end, athletic, good situation, Um, you know, so I'm more of like O.J. Howard. I'm O.J. Howard, Vance McDonald, oh Vance, George McDonald. Kittle, oh
0: George Kittle. <laughs> like, th-
1: those, those are the kind of guys that that I like. Those are sexy.
0: And those happen to be the tight ends that PlayerProfiler.com likes. They're sexy. Like that sexy body from our tight ends. Now we talked a little bit about fringe players, Edo Smith. I want you to go deeper. Look forward to 2019. Find your inner truther. <laughs> Who do you think will be that guy you're drafting at the end of drafts next year? It's a tough question.
1: Guy that we're going to be drafting at the, and it's a
0: running back? Doesn't have to be a running back. Could be a wide receiver. Someone who's just not getting the opportunity they deserve, and you think they could be unlocked, but it's not going to happen until 2019. Deontay Foreman? That's perfect. Talk to me about Deontay Foreman. I just think that Lamar Miller is... A fake bell cow. Yeah, he's a fake bell
1: cow. Just average. Foreman flashed to me, but this year I think think's gonna be a lost year for him because, you know, coming from that, that type of injury, uh, you 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 just don't a running back doesn't recover, you know, that first year back.
0: Without steroids.
1: Without steroids. So I think it's gonna it's gonna come next year. So he would be a guy that I think, you know, would come on next year.
0: Boom. So I'll get you out of here on this. I need a bold prediction for 2018. Let's transport to January 3rd, 2019. We're looking back on this current season. Predict the thing that will surprise us most. Predict a thing. This but- is, it's also called a bold prediction, Nelson. <laughs> so I framed it that way to give you more time to think. Can it be like anything? Does it have to do with like fantasy players oh my god yes anything go off the wall a prediction that sounds ridiculous but if you really think it through not that ridiculous after all it's a fucking bold prediction nelson how many different ways do i have to say this well well,
1: that's the thing like i i don't i don't live in fantasy land and this show is so difficult God
0: damn it damn it play the music
1: live in fantasy land and this show is so difficult oh god damn it damn it play the music damn this show's difficult What? the green bay packers won't make the playoffs is that bold is that not that's not that's stupid
0: i i don't know nelson i don't know we, the, the show's over i i had to just turn the music on because you weren't answering the question i love uh curveball endings it's gonna be great that was really good man that was our shtick me yelling at you about podcasting. That was the shtick, and we ended on that shtick. It was glorious. People get a lot out of these type of shows, where people go behind the scenes into the mechanics of drafting. They love it. They lo- they're love. they going to love this show. Well, I'll let you go. I got to pee. That would be
1: kind of awkward if you brought the camera in.
0: See, that's a good... Yeah, I'm going to keep that in the outtakes. I didn't do my homework is the problem. What happens with these shows is about 20 minutes in, the essence of the show surfaces. And my job is to be true to the essence of the show throughout. It surfaced, we found it, and we finished strong. Oh, George Kittle. (laughs) Come on with Tyler Boyd. What do you mean come on with Tyler Boyd? I will not come on with Tyler Boyd because I came on the show in front of this microphone and said that Tyler Boyd is the most underrated slot receiver in the league. And he, like a lot of these other young receivers, was dominant at the college level at an early age. All he needed was an opportunity. They cut Brandon Lafell. That's all I needed to see. And it's very easy to figure out who the Podfather is. He is I, and I am him. A little bit of Fournette, yeah. You're you're looking at it now, and you're like, "Fuck me, that fat bastard." It,
1: it's a it's a good setup. Good good team over there. Solid defense. He's going to be running in the second half. So you know, let, let's get some Fournette exposure in ca- case this bastard you know blows up this year.
0: Dude, these defenses, man, they're fucking Jekyll and Hyde just when you think you can trust a defense. So you took you took Fournette over Gordon. I think that was the regret, right? That That's the issue. He was at the very beginning of the second round in, in expert drafts where he was at the end of the second round in traditional drafts. That was one of the big differentials I saw with players. The two biggest differentials in terms of players that were drafted in the first couple rounds were Gordon and McCaffrey.
1: Yes, yep. I don't know how they can watch the game and see Mike Williams on the field and not say, okay, he's better than Benjamin and Tyrell. And maybe I'm just biased, but he looks like like one of the best receivers out there. And then they don't play him and they don't use him. My strength is podcasting. That's why I'm the podfather within like the first three rounds we fade a lot of players there's players like completely off our radar
0: well you can have it both ways you can have a lot of conviction on a lot of guys but you can still make sure you're only 50 percent exposed to any one player you can have it both ways
1: exactly and and that's what we were trying to do this year you know we have a lot of barkley and we had a lot of McCaffrey.
0: Yeah, because I got your name from Chad Schroeder. I said, well, who else do you respect in the industry? And he he mentioned your name first. thought I'd pass that along.
1: We zing each other often. Uh, Chad and I, our history is um, we partnered for a couple of years. And then uh, our styles are very different, though, from each other. Very different styles of drafting. And then that's when he talked about it a little bit and just said that, um, yeah, I'm more of a ADP guy. I allow the, the masses to dictate the ADP and then I draft based off of that, whereas, you know, Nelson is more aggressive where he he doesn't go off of ADP he he has more conviction in certain players and conviction on players that he does not like where you know for him it's more you know everyone's
0: got a price kind of but then I would argue to Chad and I did well then how the hell did you end up with so much Todd Gurley You know, and he's like, well, I did like Todd Gurley. We're like, okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you can't. It's fun to get someone who's successful to ask them questions. And they're they're so cognizant of not being boastful that sometimes they can talk themselves into a corner. You're bending yourself into a pretzel to be humble where you just need to come out and say it. You nailed Todd Gurley. You love Todd Gurley. Let's go ahead and celebrate Todd Gurley here. And then he's like, "Well, yeah, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Kelvin Benjamin always falling to you in the 11th round. That's not. That's not how you end up with all this Todd Gurley. It, it was the same thing with us. We we
1: owned a lot of Todd Gurley last year. We we saw it. You know, as far as the offense, McVeigh coming in, they upgraded. You know, the offensive line. They brought in Whitworth. You know, he's a little bit lung in the tooth, but still a very good tackle so when we looked at some of those things and and then you know they bring in Watkins you know kind of like a last second trade in the preseason it it told me that okay Watkins now gives it's a signal and and it it tells us we might not like Watkins in that offense but it's going to keep defenses on us because Watkins does have speed and, and can stretch the defense so that that was there was a lot of clues on why you should be buying todd Gurley and not look at prior years because prior years you had the jeff fisher schottenheimer regime
0: and now we see the the schottenheimer regime returning to seattle and laying waste to that backfield
1: yeah total total fade i love russell wilson wanted nothing to
0: do with him everything there were so many warning signs They're warning flares in the air. I mean, this was a sinking ship. They're firing warning signs. They're hoping other ships can see them on the horizon and rescue their sailors. And the whole thing is just going down.
1: Yeah, you know, whether you're a Carson guy or a Penny guy.
0: Who cares? Who cares? Because Mike Davis is there. Tyler Lockett was the only guy because you knew they were going to be down. This was a losing franchise heading in the wrong direction. And based on a lot of the conservation of targets, and the one thing you could say is, oh, there's a lot of vacated targets. That's bad for the offense. It's bad for Russell Wilson. The one winner is Tyler Lockett. That's it. That's it. And he's not a top 10-round pick. Anyway, my bold prediction in the offseason, so bold, right, so bold, that the Seattle Seahawks would have a worse record than the Cleveland Browns. Like, oh, no, no way. Well, what, what do you mean? What do you mean, no way? Look at, their, look at the talent profiles of their players one by one down the roster. How is that a hot take? That That's not, not not in my book. Not in my book? Legion of Boom. It's not the Legion of Boom, it's the Legion of Boot.
1: If I heard you say that, I, I'd, I'd be saying, Matt, come on, be better, bro. You, you know, come up with something, you know, a little hotter than
0: that. And then on the other end of that spectrum from Russell Wilson is Patrick Mahomes, where everything is clicking into place. And they're laying the foundation of the perfect system and situation for a quarterback to thrive. It's one player among 11 on the field going up against another 11 guys, all moving in different directions on every play, and it's impossible to detangle one player's ability from their supporting cast now more than ever. And that's why when you're drafting, you're doing your fantasy
1: draft, you have to take that into account and say, listen. You might like this player. This player might be a great player, but you have to look at
0: this year. What is what is the surrounding cast? His tight ends, Nick Vanett. His number two option for the first four weeks is Brandon Marshall. What are we talking about, Nelson? What? Are we, what? He's being set up to fail. And he's
1: he's a top three quarterback pick. You know, you got you got Rodgers, Watson, and then
0: Wilson every every draft, and it's like. He's not worth that pick None of those three quarterbacks are in the top five fantasy quarterbacks right now Matt, come on, be better, bro Fuck Ridley, fuck Calvin Ridley, man <laughs> Get out of here, I'm, I'm Team Sanu I'm, I'm Team Ito, out in
1: Vegas we, we hammered him every single draft we got him after the Thursday night game
0: Get Calvin Ridley out of here, he's stealing Julio's touchdowns Matt, come on, be better, bro Oh, don't even get me started on the list of running backs drafted in round two through five that have not fired. Everybody except McCaffrey and Gordon. Yeah, zero running back.
1: The masses were going two and three running backs in the first four rounds, and this was the year to go right back to the zero running back strategy. I ended up going
0: Barkley and four receivers. That was a very common draft of mine. So I ended up with leagues with either Elliott or Barkley and then receivers. That was my strategy this year. It's working out. It's great. I'm sure if you drop David Johnson on the Cowboys, he'd be great. But that's not the
1: world. David Johnson's the Russell Wilson of running backs. And listen, I love David Johnson. Right. At least with Elliott, you know they're going to feed him the ball 30 times a game. Listen, I love David Johnson. You look Sam Bradford sucks. Sam Bradford is not... An nfl quarterback and listen i love david johnson and you have wilkes who came in he's a d- defensive minded coach he brings in mike mccoy who i think sucks as a offensive coordinator and listen i love david johnson and the offensive line again just just not that great and then the surrounding cast And listen, I love David Johnson, and I know I was in the minority with this because a lot of people love Larry Fitzgerald, but I didn't. I I wanted to be like Bill Belichick. I want to be a year early than a year late. And listen, I love David Johnson. Well, out of 260 teams, we have zero David Johnson. And listen, I love David Johnson. Well, out of 260 teams, we have zero David Johnson and listen i love david johnson and listen i i love david johnson well out of 260 teams we have zero david johnson
0: your partner david johnson begging you every time you're in that number four slot take me man take me bro push the button and you're like nah 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 he's not danny johnson he's david johnson
1: Matt, come on. Be better, bro. Listen, I I just got to be better. Matt, come on. Be better, bro. Listen, I I just got to be better.
0: Okay, so in the future, when you're on another podcast, don't admit that. Say that you should have drafted Melvin Gordon instead.
1: Matt, come on. Be better, bro. Dave and
0: I, you know, won the FFPC main event. Come on, Nelson. This was on the show sheet. You need to be prepared. Matt, come on, be better, bro. Whoever's handing out the invitations at the NFL needs to be fired. I was waiting for that moment in the show, and it just occurred. I'm impressed. I'll give you Kiki Cool T. Fuck you, Calvin Ridley. Yes. Sony Michelle, here's my nickname, just press play.
1: Yeah, 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 just press play. Put him in the lineup. Good to go.
0: We're going back and we're scrubbing all the details of our past transactions so we can be right every time. Yeah, that's what we do. We we, we sprinkle in some honesty to give us credibility for the big lie later. All right, Alvin Kamara, get focused.
1: Alvin Kamara, get focused. Matt, come on. Be better, bro.
0: You're letting the ADP dictate your roster, and that's what you do not do.
1: I do not chase fat fullbacks. I do not like slow players.
0: How high can Devin Funches go in fantasy football?
1: Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. We're, we're back to slow receivers again.
0: no no In the top 100! Matt, we're talking about this year. Welcome to my life, Nelson Sousa.
1: Let's play a game. Let's play a game, let's play a game, let's play a game, let's play a game.
0: Is there an echo? Was I a better interview than Chad? I think the sound quality is much better. I can't believe sound quality, that's what he's giving me. This is so bad. This is like the awkward breakup. Hold on a second, no, no, no. The sound quality alone makes it a better interview and this was a longer interview, so I think we gave them more content with cleaner audio and I think think that you actually brought it stronger with more passion. Yeah, I I would give you the nod. We're contractually obligated to say we love Gronk on every show.
1: They're sexy. Do not chase fat fullbacks. Jackson